Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. So Paul really continuing this thought that was picked up, and and we're going to see, like we talked about yesterday, come at some of those uh, metaphors, like the instruments uh, coming back, the music. So what we're talking about, you know, what actually is a sound that you can make that that conveys something intelligible, that builds up, and uh, what's just blowing hot air. Uh, and, and so we're talking about that in the context of love and the context of speaking in tongues. So, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit, but this, this is, I think, the chapter most directly focused on the speaking in tongues thing. So we're going to have a real chance to get into this today. What, what is that? Is that something that should still happen today? What does he mean later when he says that speaking in tongues is for unbelievers? Um, sort of interesting. And he says that unbelievers uh, are weirded out by that. So is that a contradiction? So uh, I'm hoping we have a chance to really kind of just get into this and maybe take some questions today. And we have, as our guest joining us, we've got Pastor Andrew Yeager, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana, Good morning, brother. Good to have you, and really looking forward to, to getting into this. This is a yes, really good morning. Just getting into the thick of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful to be talking with you this morning. And and especially on this chapter, and and I think that uh, it's just really timely because in in the situation, as we've been saying, um, and we've seen it a few places where there's such a preoccupation with what we can and can't do. Um, what what is what is correct and what is incorrect, you know what what knowledge that we have about our rights or what's constitutional or what's healthy, right? There's a, there's a lot I think going on about you know what's the correct knowledge, um, but then there's the question of well well then what should we actually do and apply that? So that it feels like this speaks to a lot of what's going on today. Absolutely. I think that there's so much here that is pertinent to our life together as Christians in uh, the 21st century as well as the first, uh, partly because what St. Paul is going to speak to in this chapter is not only uh, the gift of tongues, but also uh, really Christian worship and what should be happening within the context of our assembling together as Christians um, everything that St. Paul says about tongues is really aimed toward the Christian congregation and worship, and so absolutely pertinent for today, just as it was in the first century. Yeah, and of course, uh, Christian worship has always been always been a big topic, and it's kind of like come back all over again as like how sure. how do you conduct Christian worship these days? Uh, sure. So yeah, just ti- timely timely as ever. Um, despite the the distance and time and space, it's just nothing new under the sun, right? Well, let's uh, right. go ahead and uh, get into it. As we turn to the text, brother, would you offer a prayer for us? Sure. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And uh, 
in the conclusion of your prayer there, um, of course, uh, a prayer that a lot of people will find to be very familiar, uh, I felt like a lot of echoes from the previous chapter that maybe we may be patient and ever hold fast. Uh, that sounds a lot like what we were talking about in chapter 13. Love is patient and kind, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there's there's going to be a number of connections back to 13, and I really hope we can make a number of those, just get it, getting back to how 13 is just so disconnected from everything and the way it's treated. But, I mean, I, I feel sure. like everything he says in 14 is just building on it, and there's so many connections Absolutely. between these two chapters. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also um, with chapter 12 as well, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, just the, the idea of, of the body and this idea of a, a body working together in the way that, uh, you know, a, an orchestra or a band, right, is going to play together and be intelligible, this this uh, larger self idea. Um, anything else that we ought to be bearing in mind or maybe any key terms or ideas before we just give this a straight read-through? Yeah, well, I think to overview the chapter, it's really dedicated to uh, the truth or the doctrine of tongues, speaking in tongues. And St. Paul lists this as one of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Uh, He says, not everyone has been given the gift of tongues. Um, And his discussion on spiritual gifts really precedes his discussion on tongues in particular, And the problem in the Corinthian congregation is that they had so confused the issue of languages, which God had originally given as a gift, that St. Paul has to devote an entire chapter to to the issue. Um, There's a true gift of languages, which we see, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, when God gave gifts to the early church, he gave some miraculous gifts. Uh, that were designed to be signs to authenticate the validity of the message of uh, the Messianic era of salvation. But um, the Corinthians, it seems, had really counterfeited that true gift of God with um, what one commentator calls pagan or ecstatic speech. And uh, speaking in tongues was also very common in pagan religion, which maybe we can talk about And it seems as though that that had infiltrated the Corinthian congregation. And so Paul is really not speaking against the gift of tongues per se, but he's speaking against this this sort of pagan originated uh, gibberish almost, which really does not serve at all to build up the body of Christ, um, just by way of introduction. Yeah, and that's, I think, going to be maybe the the crux of the— of the discernment here, which is going to be challenging, and it has been challenging for interpreters, that you know, it is is this ecstatic speech, speaking in tongues, angel languages, um, unintelligible speech. Is is it categorically bad, or is it being misapplied? And it, and it feels a lot like the stuff with uh, the the meat sacrifice to idols, right? It's like, is is it actually bad? Or is it just scandalizing in this particular context? And so uh, th- that that is kind of always the challenge, right? Trying to figure out to what extent is he, to, you know, kind of going with this prohibition. But uh, we'll just, yeah, we'll just kind of leave that on the back burner for a minute here. And we'll go ahead and read the chapter through. So here we have 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the English Standard Version from the top. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and nuns without meaning, but if I don't know the meaning of a language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in, uh, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it's written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, sign, thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things done be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what's said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, 
the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it's reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in good order. So he really is in the thick of it, and it's a long chapter, 40 verses. Um, so this is one where we're, we're going to have to be selective. I mean, just the <clears throat> the second, uh, I think, kind of big issue um, that would, for us anyway, uh, the thing about the, the women in the church being, uh, you know, keeping silent. Oh, we could spend the whole week on that all by itself. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, overall though, um, I mean, it is, it is just interesting how, whether it's speaking in tongues or multiple speakers, which is, I think something actually we kind of underestimate that uh, kind of a big thrust in the chapter is having multiple prophets, right. Um, or, or, uh, men and women, or, I mean, whatever it's this real big emphasis on, on order for the sake of building up. And so we, we get back to that again and again, building up, building up, building up. And we're, and we're kind of hearing those echoes of, uh, of Paul earlier, what he was saying, you know, uh, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I was back in chapter eight. And so, I mean, we keep getting back to this love builds up, love builds up. That's what we're doing right. here in the church. Our words should be doing the same. Yeah, and if we were to break down this chapter, um, the first 19 verses are really about the position of the gift of tongues in worship. And what Paul says essentially is that the position of tongues is secondary, right? In verses 1 through 5, he says prophecy edifies the whole congregation, and so prophecy is really primary. Tongues, however, are useless to edify and cannot edify, and so what is the purpose of the church when it meets together in in the assembly, which is the Greek word for church? The purpose of uh, of the church getting together is edification, building up. Uh, you know, he says it in verse 20, 26, let all things be done to edification. Verse 12, that you may excel to the edifying of the church. At the end of verse 4, he who prophesies, he says, edifies the church. And at the end of verse 5, that the church may receive edifying. And so all through the chapter, the same word is repeated again and again. And Paul's point is that edification really comes only in one way, and that is prophecy. Uh, In verse 31, he says, you prophesy. Why? What's the point of prophecy? So that all may learn and be encouraged or comforted by the gospel. Uh, And I think it's important that we understand what the word to prophesy means. Um, It it does not mean— I I, I want to get into that in just a minute, brother, if if we can. But I I really want to—I really like what you were just saying about just the building up. And I want to clarify, too, 
uh, the, the thing about uh, you were using a, a synonym, a close synonym, edify, uh, because right. I, th I think this is a really key idea. And I, I like the way you broke it down. I don't want this uh, to get glossed over here. But when we're talking about, you know, uh, building up, um, edifying, right, that's a, it's, it's a similar word. I mean, really kind of literally means the same thing. It's like, you know, uh, in English, we can also talk about an edifice referring to mm -hmm. uh, a building. And that's more of a Latinate word. Like in, in Spanish, it's easier. It's edif edificio. It's, you know, it's a building. But kind of either sure. way, edify or build up, like it's a kind of this image of, you're you're making something better you're improving you're uh, shoring it up you're strengthening it right you're reinforcing it you're making it more solid uh, a better place to to be at so i mean like all of this stuff like you were saying uh, you know it's it's to the benefit to the improvement to the edification uh, that that act of prophecy uh, is is what's emphasized here and i like what you said that speaking in tongues is secondary, and, and I think that we can't miss that he's made the same move just earlier, right? He just did it, right? Faith, hope, right. love, abide for right now, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So he, he, he says that faith and hope are secondary compared to love, yeah. and, and I, I think it's the exact same thing here, that when he's talking about uh, speaking in tongues, well, that's, that, that's not— that's not like prophecy that builds up. That's, uh, you know, speaking knowledge, right? Like where he says in verse two of chapter 13, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? So, I mean, so th I think mm -hmm. he's doing the same thing that tongues, knowledge, secondary, love, prophecy, primary. Right. Yeah. And, and to the whole point of the church as an edifice, you know, we think of Ephesians 2, where he his analogy for the church there is actually the temple building and he says yeah. that we individual members of the church are like the stones or bricks that make up that building and we're founded on the the foundation of the apostles and prophets with christ jesus himself as the chief cornerstone mm -hmm. so the church is an edifice it is a building and and that building happens through uh through prophecy right yes yeah, so you were going to say, so so break, break it down for us here, because, I mean, I think we hear prophecy, right, and we kind of get, yeah. well, I mean, a, cer a certain kind of idea, like, you know, predicting the future, or, I don't know, someone's eyes rolling to the back of their head, and like, you know, like, oh, I see, you know, you know. so like, what, what, is, what does he mean here by prophecy, though? Because he yeah. says, I want you all to prophesy. Now, that's, that's, a, that's an image. Sure. Uh, prophecy is actually from the Greek, it's two words, it pro and the word fetuo, which means literally just to speak before someone. So when yeah. the pastor gets in the pulpit, he is speaking before his congregation. And so really it just means to, to prophesy is to teach the Word of God. It doesn't mean, as most people think, uh, to predict the future or to foretell some event that has not happened yet. It's, it's very simply the teaching office, the, the, the office of the holy ministry. And he says that when prophecy is happening, actual hearing and understanding is taking place contrary to the tongues, which are unintelligible to the hearer, and therefore it leaves the hearer out. Um, but he does say in verse 4 quite explicitly that between the two gifts, uh, the one who speaks in, in a tongue edifies only himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the whole church, right? This is the ordinary way by which the Lord uh, builds us up is, is through receiving the Word of God and in preaching, 
uh, in word and sacrament. Yes. So, so I, I, and that's, I think really important to, to really say, okay, okay. That's what we mean by prophecy. Um, and, and yeah, the way you were breaking it down that it's, um, that, that speaking before, and, and I might even say that in particular, it's, um, speaking before in the sense of, uh, before the one who sent you in particular also, sure. right. That idea of, you know, I send my messenger before my face. Right. Um, and, and you know, back in Exodus, we saw, you know, Hey, you will, Moses, you, you will be like God and, um, Aaron will be your prophet. Right. So this idea of a, of a spokesperson, right. For someone mm -hmm. to, uh, be out in front of you to represent you. Um, and, and so I, I think, uh, Yes, it's exactly the application that you're describing. That's that speaking, um, it's public speaking, speaking in the gathering. We saw how uh, last time, in fact, the, the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is in some ways a, is a public speaking chapter uh, because they, they use another word sure. um, for just kind of public speaking, uh, that, that laleo, that, that um, kind of like just, you know, telling it to, for, for all to hear. Um, it's, no, it's no secret. It's no, it's no private speech. But then I, I think, yes, you're right. It, it, he's got, yeah, there's all kinds of different public speaking going on in the assembly. There's, there's uh, you know, speaking that, that happens um, between brothers, uh, just is kind of out there. It's not, it's not like a secret. But then you're right that there's this particular speaking that's trying to speak on behalf of God. And, and it's just like you were saying, well, if you're speaking on behalf of God— I mean, it needs to be for the benefit of others. Like that's that's why God sends prophets. He doesn't send prophets to show off. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, to tie in with the whole love chapter 13, look at the first two words that he uses in 14. Pursue, yeah. or literally in the Greek, it's persecute, chase after love. So yeah, right. already in the first verse, Paul is highlighting the key question that he's already addressed in chapter 13, which is, are you exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given to you in the spirit of love, right? He's already actually yeah. addressed it in 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So, you know, that's like Paul saying, okay, let's concede for a second that God has given you this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Let's concede that. Well, if you're not exercising that gift in the spirit of love for the edification of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're, you're puffing yourself up. You're not building up others. Right. Which is, uh, yeah. which is what we're all called to. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, right. I think that we, we've seen how when he's talking about love, I mean, he is talking about, you know, and, and I think we uh, mentioned it last time that the, the old word for that is charity. Um, and it's sometimes used um, when people are listing, like, say, like the, you know, the, the three uh, Christian, the three three theological virtues, right? Faith, hope, and love. Or they'll, mm -hmm. they'll say faith, hope, and charity, right? And what, what we mean is not, uh, you know, giving away money, though, you know, generosity is is, is a good, blessed thing, right? But but Paul's really talking about speaking charitably, right? Or, mm -hmm. or you know, being charitable in communication, right? Which is... Oh, goodness gracious. I mean, that's, that's a whole thing, right? You know, today it's like, you know, yeah. we're just trying to like get like, you know, get a little zinger in here, throw your little one-liner, like, you know, just, you know, shame someone on Twitter. Like, hey, they said this. Everyone jumped down their throats, right? But like uh, speaking charitably, putting putting the best construction on things, being charitable. So like that, that's what he's talking about with this, with this love. Um, and he's saying, yeah, it, like this being charitable 
this isn't just uh, the, the, the way that you speak to your fellow Christians, but it's the way that you witness before outsiders. It's the way that the sure. pastors are going to teach. It all has to be done in that spirit of, of charity. And uh, that, that bit about the outsiders, now that, yeah. that's really interesting, and we got to talk about that. It's time for our break, but so we'll hold that thought. Everybody hang on. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. Here's what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. Hello there, uh, I'm from Scottville, Michigan. We appreciate having KFUO streaming into our home. The programs on KFUO have really built up our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to all the staff for continuing to bring the good news to all the world. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, just talking about the differences, some of these really key distinctions between uh, building up and puffing up, between uh, prophecy as uh, something that really happens all the time, actually, speaking on behalf of God, uh, again, for the building up of the Church, versus kind of like what we think of in terms of, you know, speaking mysterious uh, things and uh, uh, mysterious cryptic utterances, which ironically, right, <laughs> means that uh, our our kind of common idea of prophecy is actually closer to what he's talking about with speaking in tongues, with saying lots of things that nobody understands. That's what, what our, our guest today was helping us to kind of understand and unpack, Pastor Andrew Yeager, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana. If you've got a question for us and you're listening live, please join the conversation, one 800 Seven three zero two seven two seven. If you've got a question or comment and you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. So, oh, and I want to make sure, uh, speaking of websites, lhfmissions.org is a good one. That's the website of our underwriters. Lutheran Heritage Foundation, thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. 
so yeah, so we were just saying uh, beforehand. So there's this there's this really focused idea on loving your brother, your fellow Christian, building up the household of faith, like you were saying, you know, the, the temple of the spirit. Um, but it's not even just for the people that are inside the church, um, where, where he's where he's getting at later. And, and I think we we should. Uh, there's a couple other things we might want to like go back to, but. It's just interesting how he, he then brings up the outsider and says, if you give thanks with your spirit, you know, that is like uh, speaking in a tongue, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? And aren't the outsiders sure. going to think you're crazy? Yep. He uses the word twice in verses 16 and verse 23, and it's all directed toward the regular worship of the Christian congregation. You know, he's saying if unbelievers come into the church— And thinking in terms of evangelism and missions, this is very much what we want unbelievers to do, right? We want them to come into the church, uh, and they hear this ecstatic babbling, then, as you said, they're they're not going to get anything out of it. They're going to think Christians are mad or no different from the pagans around them. They won't be drawn into the church, but they will be repelled from the church. But Paul says, not so with prophecy— uh, prophecy is designed to bring people to faith and conversion, right? So if you look at verse 25, 24 and 25, he says, yeah. if an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and, and called to account by all. So he's he's picturing this situation in which outsiders come into the church and say, what's going on there, you know, among the Christians? And then they hear the powerful words of the sermon. They hear preaching and exhortation. They find themselves convicted. That's a law word, right? The law convicts us of our sin. And also they're encouraged and, and comforted by the gospel. And this is God's ordinary way to bring about conversion in faith. As we uh, hear Paul say in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it's all directed toward uh, both the congregation and those who have not yet uh, been brought to Christ through baptism and faith. Absolutely, and Paul Paul has them in mind, and and I think that like what you're saying that that we can kind of see how this makes sense and how we could apply it to uh, you know like our our own contexts of of, of mission and, and evangelism. I think rather readily. I I wonder though. So this is kind of I think right like the point where he's kind of got this picture going on. Well, I mean, help help us break down the picture because it does seem I think I think what you were saying, right? Like I think this is uh, this is right that he is talking here when he's talking about speaking in tongues, right? Because this is a difficulty because the word tongue it can mean like a language, right? Um, and in fact, sure. he uses the word that way later, where he says there are many languages in the world, right? So yeah, you can talk about how there's you know many many languages in the world, uh, but it does seem like he is talking about this ecstatic speech when he says speaking in a tongue or um, earlier, you know, the tongues of angels. So there does seem to be this ecstatic speech thing going on, but his alternative is that it says in 24, as you were saying that all would prophesy. And and then, and that almost sure. it's sort of like, well, hang on a second. What's, what's that look like as an alternative yeah. that, Everyone is prophesying. So, like, help help us break that down. Well, you know, think about where Corinth was situated in the Greco-Roman world with pagan religion all around them. And 
I did a little reading on this. You know, it's very common in pagan religion to have this sort of ecstatic gibberish speech um, where devotees would would uh, come and see the priests or the priestesses in the temple, and they would often go into an ecstasy, which means a uh, uh, literally in the Greek, it means out-of-body experience. So you you enter this state where you're no longer in control of your body. You're you're um, you know seizing up, or you're kind of being driven mad by your worship. Uh, it was a very sensual-based uh, religion in which the senses, the feelings, were um, were the main part of the religion, and eroticism was really mixed up with this. You know, yeah. often when they would go to the temples, there would be orgies that would happen there. And it seems as though the church in Corinth had counterfeited the true gift of God, speaking in tongues, with this sort of pagan ecstatic speech that was going on all around them. And And we know from the rest of the book how the church had uh, fall into the temptation of allowing the worldview, the practices of the Greco-Roman world, the pagan world around them to infiltrate the church, right? You could almost go every single chapter to see that. So it's like Paul wants yeah. to uphold the idea that there is a genuine gift of God, but look back to the apostles at Pentecost, okay? We're told in Acts chapter 2 that uh, the apostles spoke in a language that they did not know, but it was always a language, right? And everyone understood the preaching of the apostles in their own language. That's a very yeah. different thing. That That's a very different thing from listening to someone say gibberish and being completely left out, which is, it's what Paul says again and again. What are you doing for these unbelievers that are coming into the church? They're going to hear you and they're not going to be able to connect at all because you've you've just left them in the dust with this gibberish speaking. So it seems yeah. as though the Corinth the Corinthians had adopted uh, some of the the more pagan practices and and counterfeited that for the true spiritual gift uh, that that Paul highlights in chapter twelve. Well, and, and I think that also connects well to, to I mean to think about this that they also seem to be struggling with sexual immorality, that there was this like, big section that we were looking at where he's talking about sexual immorality, uh, and, and also right, right about the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So, I mean, it, it seems like, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty plausible, like, as we've said that, you know, uh, apparently you could call someone a Corinthian, and it was like calling someone a, a Cretan, I guess. Uh, sure. <laughs> that we use is that sometimes, but, you know, so like a Corinthian, like it was its own thing. Uh, but yeah, that that you have this sort of, uh, you know, mixed up sense of, you know, your, 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 uh, if you're kind of having this like kind of out of body experience almost where you're kind of beyond the, the physical, then you can kind of see how naturally it's just sort of like, Hey, you know what? My body, the physical, the sexual, um, food, all that stuff. It's just kind of do whatever, who cares, right? We're kind of on a higher sure. plane here. We're concerned about, you know, the angelic, the heavenly, the, the, sure. the, the Gnostic, right. The stuff of, so, um, you can see how, yeah, I mean, like, like like you're saying, how they could really kind of slide into paganism that way, which I, which I think Paul also talks about. He's like, you know, earlier you're saying, well, you know, you all were under the influence of paganism in one way or another. Some of you was with, was mm -hmm. with idol worship. Some of you, 
it's kind of still currently, uh, <laughs> you know, some of like yeah. the, the pagan side of, of, of the speaking in tongues. Uh, so I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's interesting that what you were saying that there seems to be this difference between what happened on Pentecost and what's going on here. And, and it seems like maybe that has something to do with what he was saying. Uh, now I'm trying to see like, where, where was it here? Uh, I think it's towards the end of the chapter. Um, but oh no no I, I jumped I jumped too far here I, on on my search here when when you're saying um it's for unbelievers and not for believers so I don't I don't know is, is there a connection there to like how how we're supposed to be viewing what happened on Pentecost is, is distinct from something that's going on in the Corinthian congregation like what what, what is really the difference well just uh, I mean remember that at Pentecost people actually heard the languages. And they were converted to faith, and they were baptized. Uh, it seems like that is not happening at all in the Corinthian church. They're they're going on in this gibberish speech, and people are not at all benefiting from that. The only person benefiting from that is the uh, is the person doing the talking themselves, and and that seems to be Paul's main point. You know, if you look at verses thirteen to nineteen, he's saying. When you come into the church, don't check your mind at the door, right? Don't right. don't leave your mind out of this. In, in fact, when you worship God, it's not just with uh, with the spirit, uh, it's not just with your feelings or your body, but it is it's also with the mind. Um, and I think that that really speaks to uh, maybe a problem that we have in our time, which is uh, feelings based religion. Right, whether it's the charismatic movement that really is based on the speaking in tongues, or any kind of worship experience that is centered around, uh, you know, making you giving you a, a spiritually uplifting feeling experience, and does not teach. You know, it, it seems like what Paul yeah. is saying the center the center of what's going on in worship or what needs to go on is is the teaching, the engaging of the mind. He. He even uses the word in the Greek, uh, catechesis. So, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what prophecy really, really is. Um, yeah. Yeah. In well, so, 19, yeah, let, let, yeah. So there's another, I think, really important distinction that you're bringing up here. Um, so, you know, what what is he talking about when he's talking about the mind? Um, he, he's also used a couple other similar words like, you know, uh, you know spirit, right? So, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on? What's, what's the contrast? And so uh, it's interesting, right? Because I, I feel like and th this is a challenge uh, because I think that in our context, when you say mind, it, this sounds mm -hmm. very like intellectual, I think. Like if you say someone has a, oh, he has a, he has a, he has a sharp mind, right? He has a, he has a sure. mind for that. Like, like I, I feel like you're, we're, we're kind of saying in English anyway, like, oh, like, you know, he's. I don't know. He, he's like a savant, or he's a genius, or or maybe he's just really good with numbers, or you, you know. But it's like he's got stuff up here. We would say. Mm -hmm. um, whereas it, it, we we say something with spirit, and we're kind of thinking it's like a, like I don't know. It's just kind of like the the mood or the, or the feeling, right? And, and yet, Paul also has been saying knowledge, right, is secondary. Mm -hmm. uh, love is primary. So I sure. wonder if actually, like, we're, we're, we might be going too far if we kind of take the interpretation that mind is intellectual, as if Paul is saying that worship is primarily intellectual, but 
Is there is there a middle ground, perhaps, with what he means by this word uh, mind, or uh, in the Greek, nous? Yeah. yeah, I think with the immediate context, it would mean simply using words in prayer. Uh, you know, think of how our Lord prayed, you know, in the high priestly prayer, he used words that St. John could write down and record. Uh, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he gave them the Lord's Prayer, which which is is words, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then it's it's very interesting because in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, "When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do." That's right. Matthew six verse seven. Uh, and and really, what that you could also translate that as kind of mindless ramblings or or yeah. or going on in this sort of ecstatic speech where you're not really engaging, uh, you're not using words in prayer, um, and it seems as that that is what Paul is talking about too. So 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 I, I think then that th- th- this this is key. Um, we're talking about understanding. But but I think in the scriptures, the, the idea of the understanding is, is a place that's, I, I think maybe maybe this is fair. I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe this isn't the best way of putting it. But in the scriptures, the understanding is a place in between what we would think of as as the brain and the heart. That it, it's not an intellectual thing where you just you know what the words mean, right? And like okay, yeah, I, I know what mm-hmm. that is, and I know what that is because the person who's like heaping up lots, like you were saying, lots of empty phrases. He knows what all the words mm-hmm. mean, right? But we would say, but he doesn't really mean them. And when we and when we say that, see, we actually I think kind of see the the, the double uh, side, the two sides of meaning. That on the one hand, there's kind of knowing the meaning with your head, but then there's meaning them. What we would say, I don't know, like your your heart or your gut or, or something. So the, the understanding is is somewhere in between that that this isn't all just like sure. words to teach a, a lesson and get credit hours or something but but it's a kind of full person thing that that enculturates that shapes that that does change attitudes and emotions right but it, but it's all connected um yes, and it's that, not that, like just one or the other right yeah, I, I say faith is not merely intellectual knowledge. That was the yeah. uh, the great error of the Reformation to say faith is just assent to some kind of intellectual point. Uh, but faith certainly includes uh, all the faculties of a human being, as you've said, the reason, the intellect, the will, the feelings. And, and it seems like, you know, he's saying in verses 13 to 19, don't when you come to worship, don't check your mind at the door. Um, you, you need to also utilize that and use words in prayer, uh, so that you will be able to build up and communicate to your brother or sister in Christ. Uh, he kind of says that in verses 20 as well. He says, don't be children in your thinking, uh, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And we think, okay, well, what is Paul going on there? Well, think about when you're an infant, you can't speak. Uh, you are, yeah. you're kind of, you're, you're babbling. And I think he's drawing yeah. a comparison to the tongues, but when you grow up, you learn how to articulate words and, and to speak. And that's what he wants to see going on in the church. And it's all for the sake of edification, but also I think a good summary verse is the very last verse of the chapter where he says, yeah. let all things be done decently and in order. Um, because this ecstatic speech was really just chaotic and, 
uh, uh, people sort of out of control. And he's saying that's right. not at all what Christian worship should be. Well, so. well, and so that idea of of, of decency and an order, I think. You know, I, I think it connects—well, I mean, it connects to what he has been saying about love, being charitable. I mean, like, they're going to have to take turns. <laughs> they're going to have to have patience sure. and not just be, well, I want to say everything. <laughs> they're going to have to stop. Um, so, I mean, like, all these things are not just kind of things that operate on—I I don't know who's the most intelligent. Let's just let him talk the whole time. Uh, but but right. that, that kind of sense of meaning that's, that's you know, meaning what you say and, 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 and feeling the, the impact of it. Like, also, as a child might— use lots of words and kind of sort of know what they mean, but without really kind of like being like, oh my goodness, you just said that in this situation and kind of feeling the impact. You can check your mind at the door uh, by not wanting to understand uh, or, or, or kind of like, you know, think hard, re recall things and connect the dots mentally. But you can also check your mind by uh, just just zoning out and being like, yeah, sure, and going through the motions, right? The, like the mind engages uh all of it, as you were saying, which which I think brings us back to the difference on Pentecost, because wasn't it the case, as you were saying, yes, there were some that heard, in fact, they heard the uh, the apostles in their own language, but there were also some who didn't, right? There were some there who said, oh, they're Absolutely drunk, right. they're out of their yeah. mind, which is really right. interesting, because he says the same thing here, right? Like, oh, they're out of their mind. So hang on a second. Like, so so what what's what's going on there, that there's, that there's some— who even on Pentecost were saying like, oh, they don't know. Um, and there are others who it says were, were, were uh, cut to the heart, right? Uh, sure. ju just like he says. So, I mean, there, there seems to be like a, like a big similarity there. I think the point with that is that uh, in verses 20 to 25, he says that the purpose of tongues is to be a sign. And if you look at 22, a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, um, the verse that he actually quotes there in 21, uh, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. That's actually a word of judgment against rebellious Israel. He's saying, look, if, if the people won't listen to me, uh, then they're going to have to listen to uh, the Assyrians, right? These people of a different tongue speak to them. And so that's actually a word of, of judgment against them. Uh, and you see that at Pentecost, too, where the people are hearing the apostles and they're not grasping what is being said. Uh, and so the tongues serve as a sign of God's judgment against unbelief, uh, whereas prophecy builds up uh, those who believe. You know, and I appreciate you bringing that up, because this is a lot like how Paul quoted in, in uh, chapter 10, right, from Psalm 50, I think it was, where it was actually a word of rebuke, <laughs> like, hey, the, the yeah. world, the world uh, and, and the fullness of the earth is the Lord's, right? Um, th therefore, why would he ask you for help? So, I mean, you know, and we kind of like kind of just look at that and, and we kind of don't let the, the, the shoe drop, the other shoe drop, right? Um, so I, I think, I think yeah, that, that's really helpful to, to see that then. That, okay, and this is something that I think I was confused about because I was like, hang on a second. So if— if uh, tongues are assigned for unbelievers, right, um, and not believers, then why does he say that unbelievers are going to get confused if they hear uh, the, the tongues being spoken? Because didn't he just say it's for unbelievers? So why would unbelievers mm -hmm. be confused by the sign that's for them? Sure. Well, I think, again, it's going to either confirm them in their unbelief or it is going to be of no value to them whatsoever. 
and, and so really the only thing that is going to benefit someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior yeah. is is the prophecy. This is God's ordinary way of, of communicating to us through his word. Uh, and um, you know, that, that seems to be his main point here. Well, I, I wonder, and this is a uh... You know, you can you can just uh, feel free to shoot this down. But the other thought that I had was, I wonder if he's actually saying uh, this is a sign for, uh, put it this way, maybe like for for kind of people who are drifting away uh, to to manifest, versus this is a sign for people who are are, are, are firm to to manifest. And so rather than say. Uh, like tongues, right? This is like to convince the unbelievers, like it's for them in that sense. No, it's more like it happens among them. And so thinking of Pentecost Mm -hmm. again, like what was the situation on Pentecost? Well, it was like a hundred faithful, but it was thousands of unbelievers. I mean, like if you were to summarize what what is Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? Unbeliever. Mm -hmm. Right, like so. So, yeah. what, what do you have? Well, the, the the sign of tongues shows up there, right, for that situation. And and I think that if you, if you look at it that way, it's like, oh, okay. So then, I, I think this confirms uh, something you said earlier that that this speaking in tongues really is God's way of saying, like, of kind of showing up in a big way, um, in, in in judgment. Uh, like, think of the message on Pentecost: "You crucified the author of life." Right. Sure. Um, so similarly, like you're saying um, that that it's God's way of showing up, being like, "Hey, look, this is the authentic word. You haven't believed. You've been unfaithful. But here, look, I'm calling to repentance." Versus, sure. this is an established church, right? And, and we we we've mm-hmm. got this, and we, and we know this, and we have this tradition. Where for that, that's you don't need tongues for that. You need prophecy there. What do you think? Right. Yeah, I think tongues. We're really uh, God's way of certifying in the apostolic age that the Messiah had come. And, you know, the attendant miracles and signs and wonders that the apostles yeah. were performing uh, was certainly to certify that. But we, we should maybe make a distinction between God's extraordinary way of revealing himself and his ordinary way. And so yeah. we shouldn't, you know, it's an error in the church to go looking for these extraordinary things that very well might have been uh, a for that time and place. You know, we don't know if tongues continue. Uh, the scriptures don't really tell. I mean, actually, in chapter 13, it says tongues will cease, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he says tongues will cease and, and knowledge will, will pass away, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's it's a temporary thing. But again, I think driving people away from these uh, sort of extraordinary manifestations of God's power to the ordinary places where he comes and edifies and builds up Christians uh, through his word and, and catechism, and which engages the mind uh, and and not just the feelings. So, you know, when Christians yeah. look for a church, it shouldn't be what church makes me feel good about myself, but what church really teaches the word in its truth and clarity and, and purity. That should That's be right. the number one question. Yeah. Well, 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 yeah, and like you, like you were saying before too, like you know, the, the mind is like is the whole thing, not just kind of assenting to it up here with our heads, which the Corinthians did a lot of that themselves, um, but like the whole, you know, know, knowing the meaning and meaning it too. <laughs> uh, but I think that kind of answers two of the questions that came in over email: uh, praying in the spirit versus praying with your mind. Um, 
you, you, you kind of say also like, you know, praying with your spirit, like all feeling, uh, praying with your brain where you're just kind of like on autopilot. Um, and then by praying with your mind, right. Where, where it's like kind of both. Um, and, and then the other question that came in over email was, uh, you know, so, so how is it that this speaking in tongues of angels is, uh, not building up, but in some ways, uh, deconstructing and, and, uh, you know, tearing down, uh, the, the assembly. And it's just like, you know, we, we've been saying that, well, it's, it's a way of, I mean, frankly, showing off and drawing attention to yourself yeah. versus, uh, mm -hmm. edifying. And, and so I, I think then this is kind of overarching, just maybe the last point we have, he, he says this stuff about, okay, hey, the women shouldn't shouldn't ask questions in the assembly. They can ask questions at home. If you're going to have lots of people speaking, he says all prophesy, right? Well, then you're going to speak in turn. So so now, mm -hmm. what, what is Paul envisioning here in terms of this being in submission, whether it's women or, or other prophets, and everyone speaking? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's kind of like a chaotic classroom where every kid wants to speak and be noticed as the as the uh, smartest kid in the class, you know, so to speak, yeah. or in the Corinthian language, it would be the one with uh, endowed with the greatest spiritual gifts. And he says, no, 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 you know, worship is not to be chaotic. It's to be, it's to be orderly. And uh, about the tongues, he says, okay, if you're going to do this speaking in tongues, there must be an interpretation, uh, right? Because without it, it will edify no one. Um, I do believe his words about women here are are speaking about um, you know the ordination of women and uh, and the office of the holy ministry is meant to be uh, for men because that's you know how our Lord has ordained and established it. But I think the overarching point that Paul makes here is about when you come to church, you know, let there not be this chaos, this disorder right. uh, that you find in, in pagan temples. Christian worship is supposed to, because the Holy Spirit is a God of peace, not a God of, of disorder or chaos. Right. Well, and peace between brothers, and, and like like we've been saying, you know, one body, right, helping and supporting each other, one one spirit uh, supporting each other, and every in every way working towards the benefit of someone else and not ourselves so yeah no big big contrast big point we covered a lot of ground brother thank you so much and uh yeah god bless your ministry and looking forward to having another conversation real soon thank you take care thanks you too everybody that was pastor yeager pastor andrew yeager st paul decatur indiana okay tomorrow chapter 15 this is a big one the resurrection but it's not disconnected from the stuff about speaking in tongues and love until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.